0: Good morning, Grace Church, how are you? It's good to be with you. My name's Josh, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you guys are joining us today. If you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Acts chapter 18? We'll be there in a minute. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts since last Easter, so we're just continuing to go and Easter's on the way, coming up. Uh, if you're new to our church, I wanna invite you to a newcomer's lunch today at 12.30. So that would mean you'd have to like hang out for an hour after the service, but there's free food, and we'll hang out together, and you can ask us any question you want about Grace Church, which is like a good first date, right? We'll just have a first date in the in the NPR after service, if you'd like to, you're welcome to do that. Uh, well, Acts chapter 18. As we've walked through the book of Acts, there have been weeks that have felt really academic. There have been weeks that have felt very like historical, like we need all this backstory. There have been weeks that have felt heavy. We're dealing with healing. We're dealing with suffering. And then there are weeks that are just really practical. And so today's verses are incredibly practical. And they're talking about uh, how do we br- integrate new leaders? As the movement of Jesus has moved forward, you have the gospel going forward, new disciples being made. And as new leaders come on the scene, they start asking some of these age old questions like, how much competence do you need to be a leader in the church? What do you need to know about the Bible? Like, how much of the Bible do you need to know before you lead? Uh, what kind of character do you need to be a leader in the church? What's required in terms of how much testing is necessary? Uh, I was a part of a collegiate church planting network for over ten years, and we would ask these questions all the time. Uh, I remember going to a conference that was trying to ask the question: uh, How old should a church planter be? Like, at what age are you ready? And We had this panel discussion with like eight guys on stage, these experts in the field, and the the guy leading the panel would ask the question: How old should a church planter be? And the first guy would get the mic and say, well, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And then the next guy would get the mic and he'd say, well, you know, you know, you know, you know. And then the next guy would get the mic, well, you know, it depends, it depends, it depends. And six guys said nothing in terms of answering the question, how old should a church planner be? And then the seventh guy, I'll never forget, takes the mic and says, 27, and hands the (laughs) mic back. And I was like, yes, clarity amongst a bunch of guys that just like listening to themselves talk. Amen. I have a hard time with panel Q&As, if you can't tell, in my spirit. Um, later at that same conference, we were, at, uh, uh, we were being hosted in homes, and we were talking about the question. And I shared with these guys uh, at this table that we had a church planter in our system who on the trip there, we found out he didn't know the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And He's, a, he's like on a church planter track in our church. And one of the dudes pushes away from the table. He's a seminary professor. He pushes away from the table, flabbergasted. Like, how could you have a guy training to be a pastor that doesn't know the story? And then the guy on this side was like this microchurch missionary leader, and he loved it. He's like, he started laughing. He's like, that's the best story I've ever heard. I love that pastors don't even know Old Testament stories. And so it was just, that's the tension, right? And then this missional microchurch leader guy said, hey, tell me about this potential church planter. Uh, if you wrote him a letter correcting his theology, would, would he listen? If you, if you taught him something, would he respond? What's his posture towards correction? I was like, oh, it's, it's great. And he said, I wonder if we often think about competence in the scriptures and we miss out on one of the key factors of what expanded the early church, which was this, that the one indispensable quality every leader needs to possess is teachability, correctability, the ability to be humbled and to be taught And to respond and to live differently, that's what we're finding in Acts chapter 18. It's a story of a young, charismatic, gifted leader being corrected by a loving couple in the church and responding to it beautifully. And it has a lot to teach us today. This sermon may not get a lot of amens because I'm coming at you guys today. But by God's grace, we're going to receive a gift of the gospel, which is the gift of teachability. So in Acts 18, it says this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. That's where Paul was. They had planted a church there. He was a learned man, a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor, taught about Jesus accurately, but he only knew the baptism of John. So he's lacking something. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos is a contemporary of Paul. In the first century church, he's Jewish, but he grew up in Egypt, in Alexandria, this large city, and he becomes competent in the scriptures. He's diligent, he's accurate, he's learned, he's thorough, he's instructed in the way of the Lord, he's passionate, he's gifted, and when they see this gifting, an older couple in the church see this about him, they see the young man's passion and potential, and they don't smash him and say, oh, this is what's wrong with Gen Z, you know, these these kids these days. They, they see potential when they serve him. They're like, we should, we should cook dinner for this guy. And we should help him see that there's something lacking. Now, people debate, what did he not know? What did he get taught? And, and a lot of times, the, the answer is, he knew about Jesus, but he wasn't yet teaching the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus was the full fulfillment of the Messiah that the Old Testament had been waiting for. And so he didn't fully understand the, 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 the full scope of the gospel, Yet he was fervent and he knew enough to preach and to teach and to to debate other people, but he lacked some spiritual understanding. And so they brought him over and they helped him develop and they helped him grow in a really beautiful way. And so we see in this passage a model for us, an opportunity for us who have ears to hear. And it's, it's no easy journey, but we're going to walk through some principles that Acts 18 offer us and ways that we can learn as well. So number one, being teachable... It's foundational to spiritual growth and character development. Foundational to spiritual growth and character development. This is true in the spiritual world. This is self-evident in the whole world. You know this. I know this. This is in us. We see it all over the place. Recently, uh, the women's basketball coach for the University of Connecticut, Coach Gino Ariyama, they've won like the second most women's basketball games in history. He went viral because he was talking about this idea. And he said, we'll go watch five-star athletes play. And I don't even watch the game. He said, when I go to watch them play, I watch how they respond to coaching. When their coach gets on to them, how, how does their body language change when their coach talks to them? When they get pulled out of the game, how do they come out of the game? When they sit on the bench, how do they sit on the bench? And he goes on to say, there are five-star recruits everywhere. But what is very few is a five-star recruit who's teachable. And he said, we won't let them in our locker room if they're not coachable. We won't let them into our culture. And then he, in some ways, preaches. He tells this group of reporters, he says, if you're not teachable, you don't grow. If you're not teachable, you don't grow. If you're not teachable, you don't grow. We want people to grow. And this is just the truth of the world. And you see this in the word everywhere. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. My first point was going to be, don't be stupid. But that's rude. And I can't say that, but the Bible said it. New International Version, Proverbs 12. Stop being stupid. Stop being stupid. Solomon, the wisest guy in the world. Solomon, what you got? Don't be stupid. Take correction. So I I, I framed it a little kinder for us. You ready? A little kinder. Make it your aim to be a lifelong learner. Make it your aim to to go out through this life saying, I got a lot to learn. Uh, I've learned some things. I've been through some stuff. I've seen experiences. I have some competence, but I have a lot to learn. And constantly seeking to grow. We experienced this in Guatemala. We were there a few weeks ago seeking out long-term mission partnership stuff, and I talked about it, then Scott talked about it, and I'm going to talk about it again because we had a pretty remarkable experience with the founder of Hope of Life, this 70-year-old man who's founded this remarkable ministry. We're having a meal with him, and he's sitting there with our team, and he says, hey, can I ask you guys some questions? We're like, no, you can't, sir. Like, you've But sure, what do you got? And he said, we planted a church. that's wildly successful. We built a building, and it's going to hold 600 people. And he's like, we need to hire a pastor. And he said, I think we should hire an outreach pastor. What do you think? Should we hire an outreach pastor? I want to hear your opinion. And my response was, "Uh, sir, I think you should do whatever you want, because it's evident that whatever you do seems to work really well, and God loves it, and so do whatever you want. And he's like, no, no, no. What do you think? He pressed us. He's like, tell me what you would do. And I knew that I had a different thought, and I didn't want to share with him my thought, because again, he's him and I'm me. So I was like, "No." And he's, but he pressed us, and I said, I, I, don't, "I don't think I would hire an outreach pastor." He's like, "Why?" And I said, "Because it would be better if you hired like a disciple-making pastor that could train people to do the outreach, because if you're not careful, you're going to help new believers think that only the pastors do the outreach, not the people do the outreach. When the pastors equip the people to do the outreach. So, like, we just kind of have this conversation. And I'm saying it as gently as possible. And it's like this man's, like, soaking it in. He's like, all right. We're not going to hire an outreach pastor. We're going to hire a discipleship pastor. Do you know any discipleship pastor? Like, he just, like, totally changes. We're like, oh, gosh. Uh, his, his willingness to learn and be humble was remarkable. It moved us. Just seeing that made me want to be more like that. It was so beautiful. It shows the gift of the gospel that this is. So number two, proactively seek out advice, especially from elders and other wise people. It would have been awesome if Apollos would have sought out advice. It doesn't say that he does that in the text. That's why we should proactively seek this out. And this, this is the beauty of the life in the church is that you can be used by God long before you have your theology figured out. Long before you have all of these experiences, you can be used by God, but you must become an expert at this one phrase. And here's the phrase. Hey, could you give me some feedback about that? Hey, could you give me some feedback about how I lead house church? Hey, could you give me some feedback about how I act in house church? Because I seem like I talk the most, and other people don't talk as much as me. And I'm not sure if I'm doing that, but could you give me some feedback about that? And then your house church leader is going to be like, bro, it's obviously that you dominate 90% of the conversation. Okay, I was just checking in. Uh, Yeah. He who has ears, let him hear, right? Uh, Can you give me some feedback about how I acted on the mission trip? Can you give me some feedback about how, like, constantly asking people to help you see blind spots is a gift of the church? But that's the easy part. Asking is the easy part. The the hard part is listen to feedback, regardless of where it's from or how it's delivered. Listen to it. Listen to it. Obey in submission the feedback that's been given by the scriptures, by God, by the church, by people you love. And I know this is hard for us. Uh, I want to be gentle here, but I, I think there's some of you here that are always the teacher and never the taught And that is sinful and broken, and you're not growing. Some of you here are always right and never wrong. That is sinful and broken, and you're not growing. And some of you here are like, I never get feedback. And you're not self-aware enough to realize you don't get feedback because you're unapproachable. Because people have to think in their minds, if I go and correct this person, I should be prepared for like a week-long fight. Do I want to fight for a week? No, I don't. So I will not be pursuing this person to give them some feedback about a blind spot in their life. We need to be humble and posture ourselves towards those around us as their servants and say, hey, give me some feedback about anything that's going on in my life. What's fascinating about this is usually the people that struggle the most are like youth and old people. That's who struggle the most at feedback. Like youth think they know it all. They would never ask for feedback. You never have a 15-year-old come to you and be like, man, you know what? You seem to have some stuff figured out that I don't. I'm learning, I'm only 15, like, growing. Just like, can't even drive yet, don't have a mortgage. Like, But you know, like, I I pretty much could solve everything that's wrong with the world. You never see them humble themselves and be like, hey, could you give me some feedback about this? Hey, could I look? And if you do see that, you're drawn to it, you're attracted to it, you're like, oh my gosh, that person should be in charge. Like, this 15-year-old, like, youth, make it your aim to be a learner, to go to people and say, hey, help me see what's going on. I'm, I'm starting to like this boy. Help me out, see what's going on there. I'm starting to like, the, like, relationally, what's going on? Here's what's going on at school. It, it feels like when you're young, you can't do that. And then as you get older, you stop doing that. In the middle, you're just trying to survive because your kids are young and you're just hungry and tired all the time. I, I don't know. Kind of. <laughs> But as you get older, you you have the temptation to grow more rigid and to grow more certain. Now, I'm not saying don't remain convictional at all. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. But I'm saying as you get older, it it is beautiful when older people are gracious and soft and gentle with their feedback and with their receiving of feedback. You're drawn to it, and it's beautiful. So be warned if you're always the teacher and never the taught. That is not the way of God, and it's not his design for us. Because in this text, Apollos is, is that guy. I mean, he's eloquent. He's mighty in the scripture, learned, passionate, magnetic. He's killing it. People are following him on Instagram, looking up and seeing, like, is Apollos teaching in Ephesus this week? Because if it's not Apollos, I'm not going to church this week because this guy's got to be Apollos. This brother's killing it. Like He is that guy, and he's probably more gifted than Priscilla and Aquila, candidly. He's probably more capable, more competent than them. And he's lacking something that they offer him. So he comes over for dinner. They talk to him about a part of the scriptures that he doesn't understand. And Apollos could have responded by laughing and saying, oh, guys, this is cute. I didn't even want to come to dinner. I'm only here because I have to be. This is hilarious. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen how it was working out there in Ephesus, but I am killing it. God is using me. Everyone loves me. It's evident. I don't need any help. I'm actually glad you're here. I had some feedback for you, Priscilla and Aquila. I've been meaning to tell you about some things in the church in Ephesus that need to get better, and you're lucky I'm here. He doesn't do that. He humbles himself. He receives the gift of correction, and he does it so well that the church in Ephesus eagerly writes a letter of recommendation for him going forward. Verse 27 says, When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, The brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews' opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that what? Jesus was the Messiah. Who taught him that? Priscilla and Aquila. He didn't just hear them. He immediately applied what he learned from the correction right away. He didn't ignore their words. He put it into action. And the correction of Priscilla and Aquila towards Apollos. Blessed all of these future churches down line. There, there, there are scholars that believe Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. There are people that think Apollos was one of the like, early church pioneers. Like second to the Apostle Paul. And he receives correction. And receives understanding. And everybody flourishes because of his posture towards that correction. And again, this is self-evident. Have you ever been on a team or on a staff where the best player was also the best listener, was also the most coachable, was also the most humble? That creates flourishing. There are legendary tales of Tom Brady, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, Simone Biles, Mia Hamm being legendarily coachable, notoriously teachable, wanting to receive feedback, wanting to see where their blind spots were. So listen, church, we, you, you and me, we're not Apollos. We have blind spots. We should not think that we are perfect in all of our ways. We should be gracious and seek after the blind spots in our lives. Uh, I, I do not do this. Uh, it's, my, it's my aim, but it is not my reality but my hope is that my wife, my kids, my friends, my coworkers would see me as the chief repenter of the group. Because I'm usually the chief center of the group, that's clear. Everybody's like, Amen to that, Josh. But they should see me as also the chief repenter because that helps everybody flourish. But this is hard. This is hard. Most of us just want to be in charge. Uh, one of my daughters is pretending to be a president for like this thing at school, and then my other daughter's like, I want to be a president for this thing at school, and then my youngest daughter's like, Who's in charge of the presidents? I want to be that job. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my five-year-old. She like, What do you want to be when you grow up, Jane? In charge of presidents. Okay, cool. That's what we want. We want to be in charge. We don't. We don't want to be corrected. It's not fun. It's not easy. Most of us probably just want to go through life without having to do correction without being corrected, and we're missing a gift of the gospel. So number three, we have to be willing to help people see their blind spots. I'm sure this was not easy for Priscilla and Aquila. I'm sure it wasn't fun for them, but this is important. And I think if we're not careful, some of us were like, I don't care about point one and two, I love point three. I love helping people see their blind spots. Josh, this is my favorite thing in the world. I will only be writing point three from today's sermon, Uh, Some of you believe this is your identity. You believe this is your gift to the church. You wish you had a name tag that said, feedback expert. Uh, You are a judger and you think you have it. And then some of you, I love you, you'll spiritualize this and say you have the gift of discernment. You're never discerning about yourself, ever. Never seen the gift of discernment inwardly. It's always outward. And you're like, man, I, I just see some stuff. And, you know, God is the one that told me all the stuff I see. So you're really critical, never, like, solving the problems, just criticizing the problems. And you, you, you don't realize you're not actually discerning and critical. You're cynical. And that's not a gift of the Spirit. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not asking us to be pushovers. I'm not asking us to walk around being corrected all the time and being taken advantage of. I, I'm saying... We have to serve each other in such a way where we don't feel judged when someone corrects us. We feel empowered. We feel blessed. We feel served. This is is why Jesus says, hey, we're, we're taking specks out of each other's eyes. Now, get the log, get the plank out of your eye first. Amen. And then help each other get the specks out of each other's eyes. That's the task that we're in here. It's specks in each other's eyes. Have you ever tried to remove a speck from someone's eye? It's the most delicate thing in the world. You don't like go in there hardcore on someone's eyes. Like when you have kids, it's a very delicate process. We live in San Diego. The kids go to the beach instantly. They have sand in their eyes. You ever try to take sand out of a kid's eyes? It's a delicate process. I prefer just dunking them in the ocean. It's not a good salt water. Doesn't help the cause. You bring with you these little little water things with little holes in them that spray just right, and it's the most delicate thing in the world. It's gentle. And it's a blessing to them. And that's the task. We're removing specks from each other's eyes, gently, for the, for the sake of flourishing in our families and in our church. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they didn't embarrass Apollos when they corrected him. They cooked him a meal. They took him into their home, and they explained to him a portion. They probably encouraged him. They probably were like, man, you're killing it. But, hey, can I tell you about the Holy Spirit? Can I tell you about the resurrection of Christ and how he's the Messiah? They... they Adequately covered the scriptures. And this is not easy. So when you're giving people feedback, this is no easy task. And I know if you felt this, I'm sure Apollos panicked when Priscilla and Aquila like texted him, Hey, can we talk after service? You're like, That's the worst text ever. Hey, can we talk? You ever get that text? From that text to when you talk is just anxiety. From, Hey, can we talk to later? You're like, Yeah, we can talk right now about. If everything, you, like, as a church, let's just stop sending that text to people. Let's send, hey, can we talk about these three things at this time? And I'll, I'll pay, like that. You're like, okay, cool. Like, okay, let's do that. Uh, they could have panicked, but they, they, don't create drama. They just tell him what they see. They offer hospitality. They help him, and it, it encourages him. It empowers him. Uh, I want this for you, church. I wish that we all had this. I wish that there were people in our lives that would. Treat us this way. I am forever indebted to my wife, to my friends who've been willing to help me see blind spots in my life, help me see the scriptures more adequately. There have been mentors where I've preached and they've bought me a meal and said, Hey, man, great job. But this little thing, like, hey, think about it this way next time. Like, it's been so gracious. I want this for you. I don't want this from you. We want this for you. This is a gift of the gospel. And here's why it's a gift because when you submit to God and you submit to others, You're set free from the terrible burden of always having to get your way. One more time. It is a terrible burden to always have to get your way. To walk through the world never yielding to anyone or hearing from anyone is a terrible burden. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he has a chapter on submission as a gift. In one of his quotes, he says, The obsession to demand That things go the way you want them to go is one of the greatest bondages of human society today. One more time. The obsession to demand that things always go your way is one of the greatest bondages of human society today. So many of your fights, so many of your struggles, so many of the things that you're harboring is because you won't yield. You won't surrender. You won't submit. And God wants to set you free from the sinful, stubborn self-will that is demanding its own way and it's getting in the way of your freedom. You want to be free? Be correctable. Be teachable. Be humble. This is, this is scary though because submission and teachability, it, it requires trust. You've got to trust that this person loves you and is for you. You've got to trust that God's way is the best way and, and teachability isn't learned, it's earned. You've got to like, do it over time. To eventually enjoy the process. So yeah, it's, it's no fun when someone lovingly, kindly comes to you and tells you, hey man, I think you misread that part of the Bible. And that's what happens in Acts 18. It's no fun when my kids come to me and they tell me, hey dad, you're on your phone too much. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm reading the news. I'm not. I ain't reading the news. It's called lying to my children. They're like, dad, you're busy you're really busy. Harper told me, you're preoccupied. I'm like, you don't know what that word means. (laughs) Where'd you hear that from? I'm not preoccupied. I'm present. I'm here. It's no fun to hear those things. It's not easy to go to someone and tell them, hey, you're really stressed out and you're like bringing that upon everybody. Hey, you're really troubled. You're bringing that upon everybody. Hey, you seem uh, too busy these days. Like you're, you're unable to commit to things. You're Bailing on things. You seem to say yes and then no. Like when people tell you that, it's not easy. But when they do it, they're giving you a gift. Receive that gift freely. Now, listen, at this point in the sermon, you could think, okay, Josh gave us a pep talk. He told us, okay, team, go out there and listen good. Listen really good. Um, that, that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. And that's way too small. Um, this concept of teachability. It is the axis by which your Christian faith makes it to the end or does not make it to the end. If you want to make it to well done, good and faithful servant and receive the achievement of the gift of Christ. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm saying walking out your salvation in fear and trembling. If you want to make it to the end faithfully, then you get there through Learning, growing, changing, repenting, falling down, getting up again, learning, growing, repenting, changing, one step forward, two steps back. That is the process you walk through, and that is a gift of the Spirit and a gift of the church. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus corrected his disciples. Jesus calls Peter the devil at one point. That is in the Bible. He says, Stop acting like the devil. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. Die for the sins of the world, Peter's like, it'll never happen. And Jesus says, stop acting like the devil. That's correction. That's rebuke. He, he calls the disciples out for their lack of faith, but he also comforts them with his presence and cares for them and is with them. He's willing to correct them, and they're willing to listen, to, listen and obey. So, church, what I'm talking about today is the essence of being a disciple. A disciple in the Greek means a learner, a teachable one. A correctable one, someone following in the steps of their rabbi, trying to take on the thoughts of their rabbi, the love of their rabbi, the beliefs of their rabbi, and the truth is, church, we do not have those things intuitively, so our whole life is being corrected and reoriented to the way of Jesus being better than our way. And if you don't live in that, then you aren't going to experience the joy of fully following after Christ. Being a disciple is a person who humbly submits themselves to God's way being better than their way in every way of life. And the Bible has some tough thoughts about this. It says you can humble yourselves or you can be humbled by God. That God opposes the proud. God opposes the unteachable. God opposes the uncorrectable. God opposes the one who is always right and never wrong. God opposes the one who has no correctability. And God gives grace to who? The humble, the teachable, the correctable. So church, I I don't want you to be opposed by God. I want you to experience the grace of God over your life. And I, I get that this is hard. Maybe you've never seen this modeled for you. Maybe you had a dad who was never wrong, and you know what that feels like. Maybe you had an experience with your parents where you're like, I was always the wrong one, Josh, and correction was always my thing. I don't know what your background is, but I know this, that the design of God for all of us is open hands, surrendered hearts, saying, God, teach me your ways. Use your church. Use your word. Correct me, Lord. Help me be aligned with Jesus. And so, church, this is an invitation that we should take. What if, what if this week you practiced this in the most basic way and you went to someone and you practiced the phrase, you said, hey, could you, could you give me some feedback about my life? You're one of my dearest friends or you're around me all the time. Like, can you just tell me something you notice about me, something I need to grow in? Maybe give them a heads up. Not, hey, I want to talk, but like, hey, can we talk and you help me see some things in my life that I need to grow in? Try that as an exercise. And if they're gracious with you, like getting sand out of your eyes You will leave that experience feeling empowered, feeling renewed, feeling like, man, God is with me. It is so beautiful to experience that. And my hope for your life is that you would never have seasons where you're not being corrected and helped and evaluated. And that you'd start to feel anxious if you weren't being evaluated and corrected and helped. You would start to think, oh, man, what's going on? Like, I need this in my life. This is what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is learner. So ask someone this week, hey, could you give me some feedback? And then maybe this morning you just put it into practice. We have prayer partners up here every week. Every week they're available to pray with you. Maybe you come forward today and pray with someone, and you just say, could you help me? Could you pray for me that I would be more submissive in my life? Could you help me that I would be more willing to hear correction in my life? Or maybe today you know that you just need to repent for always being right, and you need to go to people and say, I'm so sorry, My tone is rigid, my posture is rigid, I'm not teachable. Fathers, maybe you need to have a family meeting this week and you just need to tell your family that you're sorry for not being the chief repenter of the family. And watch how that draws people to you. Watch how that creates flourishing. Church, this is not some small thing. This is a gift of the gospel that we should receive readily and we should thank God for it. So I wanna pray that we would be those kind of people in that kind of church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your word that corrects us every day, that shows us blind spots in our life every day. God, I pray that we as a people would be known for our humility, for our submission, for our teachability. God, I pray you would make us an approachable people, that people could come to us and tell us things that they see in our lives. God, I pray you'd make us a gentle people, a people that cook meals and show hospitality and and share things that are inadequate in our lives without making us feel condemned and beat down and broken. God, I pray that we would empower one another with truth. We would serve one another with truth. And we would experience a great gift of the gospel, which is to be a learner. God, make us learners. Make us learners of your son, Jesus. Make us learners of your word. God, help us. Help us to be less proud and more humble. We need your help, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.